Welcome to Focus on Success with Fazia Costi. Our program is designed to help you with executive function challenges. Our guest experts offer perspective, experience, and ideas to improve different aspects of your life. Now, here is your host, Fazia Costi. Good morning. I'm Fazia Costi, and today we have a very special guest for you. His name is Sean Evans, and he has some pretty amazing uh, experience. He's he's an entrepreneur, and he's got three businesses right now, I believe. One's called Gloves.com. The other one's My Wine Society, and um, I believe the other one is uh, a blended festival. Is that correct? All right. And uh, Sean Evans has founded and exist and exited four companies over the last 20 years. He sold his first two companies before he was 30 years old, which is a very awesome accomplishment. He continues to disrupt markets with cutting edge solutions. Most recently, he founded My Wine Society, raised three rounds of funding and received a valuation of $16 million in 2019. Uh, He has started and led Gloves.com into a leading PPE supplier, providing masks, gowns, and gloves to hospitals and government entities throughout the United States. And this is quite an accomplishment because of COVID, um, we've really needed this type of uh, service. So uh, welcome to the show, Sean. I really appreciate you being here this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me, Fuzzy. It is, it is my pleasure. Um, please tell us a little bit about you. Tell us about your background, maybe your educational background, because you have a pretty uh, interesting background in your education as well. So let's, let's talk a little bit about who you are. Yeah, sure. I'll, uh, I'll try to keep it brief so we can get to the oh, relevant. We, we have plenty of time. Go ahead and tell us who you are. So um, I grew up in Northern California. Uh, my family was uh third generation Davis residents up in Davis, California, which is a small uh, city near Sacramento, uh, Bay Area. Uh, it's well known for um, UC Davis, University of California of Davis, um, and for the cows. There's a lot of cow farms around there. Yeah, and for people who've never seen that part of the country, it's pretty beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it is really nice. It's also in the valley, so it can be really hot. Um, but uh, UC Davis was um, or is still one of the leading viticulture universities in the U.S. So um, being only 35, 40 minutes from Napa, uh, they service a lot of um, wine training and wine education uh, at UC Davis. So I didn't know when I was growing up, but, um, you know, being that close to wine country uh, definitely made an impact on where I am today. Uh, after, uh, after high school in Davis, uh, I moved to Salem, Oregon, uh, which is in the Willamette Valley. Um, Willamette Valley is actually also known for uh, their winemaking skills of Pinot Noirs and other varietals. And um, so, I went to, so it was meant to be. You're meant to be around wine. Yeah, I've been constantly surrounded by wine, even though I just really got into the industry a few years ago. Um, so, uh, yeah, I went to undergraduate and graduate school at William University um, and, uh, you know, kind of glossing over a lot of the details there, but, but out of grad school, I had the opportunity to open um, uh, youth athletic training facilities in Portland, Oregon with a business partner. And um, 
So at 22 years old, uh, 20, yeah, 22, I uh, opened my first business in Portland, Oregon. And I just turned 42 on Thursday. So that was exactly 20 years ago. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we started a, um, there, was a, there was a gap in the market um, in Portland at the time. There, was, there were not uh, enough um, youth training facilities that, you know, did gymnastics, dance, birthday parties, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, had the opportunity to jump in and open um, a business with a business partner who knew the space probably better than I did, um, but needed, you know, needed kind of a right-hand man to help him um, manage the staff and, and um, go to the seminars and um, bring back all the knowledge of the world. Um, so that was kind of my role. He, he launched the business portion and I was kind of in charge of the curriculum and the, um, and the staff and going to the conferences and, and really learning um, how to grow the actual uh, product that we were offering, which was, um, you know, service and training. So that went really well. We actually grew to um, three locations over three years. Um, wow. So yeah, each new year we popped up a new location in a different city, um, which was really cool. We had a second location out in uh, Beaverton, which is out uh, west of Portland. And then we had uh, a third location down in Corvallis, which is um, south by about an hour to where um, it's the home of Oregon State University. And do these businesses still exist today? Um, you know what? They do under different names, I believe. Um, I think they've gone through a couple owners, um, but the one, in, the one in Portland for sure does still exist. Uh, in fact, they've grown dramatically. That must feel really good to, to see something that you started still existing, still growing, still providing services. Must yeah, really good. and it, you know, that was obviously a long time ago, so I don't track exactly, um, you know, what they're doing, but I know, uh, I know the one location in Portland is still open and thriving, so it's pretty cool to see. Very um, nice. Tell me a little bit about what drives you, because when you first started off and you, you created your first business, it sounds like you were just filling a need. You were a young kid, but at a certain point, you have to make a conscious decision to continue this process to continue creating businesses what what drives you what makes you decide on a specific business what what makes you decide you know what the business is going to be where it's going to be how you're going to develop this business who's going to be involved all of those you know little details in life yeah how do you decide those things yeah good question well the um the easiest answer to that is um after kind of cutting my teeth in Oregon uh, and, you know, running, a, running my own business early on and watching kind of my friends go off and get interns at, or internships at Goldman Sachs and, you know, work 80 hour weeks, you know, for not a lot of money. Um, and, and I was, I was working a lot as well, but I was, you know, choosing to do it as my own boss. And I was, um, and I was doing something that I really, you know, was passionate about um, and was able to, you know, even though I was working a lot of hours and working hard, I was also able to pick up and, you know, go to Italy for a week if I wanted to. And, you know, no one needed to give me clearance for that. So it was, um, 
it was kind of like the entrepreneurial bug kind of hit, uh, caught on to me early on. Uh, and it's kind of hard to go back to that or, or you know, back from that as long as um, you're experiencing success and you're doing something that you're passionate about. Um, so I, I kind of made that decision early on that um, as long as I was able to keep working for myself, quote unquote, uh, that I was going to do it. Um, you know, fast forward, it's, uh, you know, not, now the companies are getting really large to where, um, you know, I don't feel like I'm working for myself anymore, you know, necessarily. We have seven partners in gloves.com. So we're kind of a, you know, a family of, of owners and uh, we've got boards in both companies now. So it's definitely evolved and it's been a journey from, you know, a four man operation running in a, a training center to, you know, running a, um, a large multinational. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's um, been an evolution, but to your point uh, or to your question, the, the decision-making process was really, you know, just deciding I wanted to work for myself and, and see where that led me. And at any point, you know, that I wasn't able to do that anymore for whatever reason, um, I knew I could go into corporate America and, and make that work. So, um, so yeah, I think that's the, that's the crux of your, of the response is that, you know, I just made that decision early on and, and I always kind of thought if and when this stops working, I can go, you know, get a real job, quote unquote. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The, yeah. I, I, I remember I, I, um, I saw this quote one time and I'm going to paraphrase it cause I don't remember it exactly, but it said an entrepreneur is somebody who will work 80 hours a week to work for themselves in order to avoid working 40 hours a week for somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah and I think that's right. exactly. Yeah. And, and it's for that freedom, you know, wanting to go to Italy for a week and, and just going when you want to, not because somebody else tells you it's okay. It's just yeah. your schedule. I, I think that feels really good. Yeah. So what are, yeah. There's elements to where, you know, you're, you're building something from, from concept to market and everything in between. So, um, you know, my wine society, the logo that's behind me that didn't exist, four years ago, right? It was, just, it was just a concept that we built and, and now it exists. And same with the blended festivals and um, same with clubs.com. So there's something too about um, knowing that uh, that something just didn't exist in the world before you conceptualized it. And then you were able to bring it to life. And now it's, you know, providing, um, providing some kind of service or value in the marketplace. Exactly, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about the businesses. Can we start with gloves.com? Tell us a little bit about what is gloves.com? Where's it based? Because I know your businesses are based in two different cities. T- tell me a little bit about how that, that company got started and, and, and where it's at now. Yeah, sure. So um, we, during the pandemic, it was really a product of, of the pandemic. Um, gloves.com as a domain has been around since 1998. Uh, and it's been with um, one of the, the early owners of the domain, a uh, guy named Mike Gamble, um, has been in the glove space since 98. And so he's, um, he's a veteran in the space and has, has uh, done well for himself. But he was a singlepreneur mostly um, through that time. And um, when the internet transitioned kind of from information into marketplace, 
uh, he never really made that transition with the domain. So um, when I came across gloves.com just last year, um, it was just still an information page. It had some information about single use disposable gloves and contact information for Mike and that was it. So um, we had gotten into the PPE space, specifically gloves during the pandemic to help fill a need um, from some of my previous consulting um, uh, jobs. I had connections to manufacturers overseas and was able to bring in product. Um, in fact, we were one of the largest importers of nitrile gloves specifically that uh, doctors and nurses use um, in 2020, which was really cool. And yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was cool. We were providing, you know, a, a product in the market that was uh, scarce and that people desperately needed. So that was fun. Um, and through through that process, we met Mike Gamble and he he's kind of um, in his golden years of life and was looking for, you know, to be a part of something bigger while he kind of rode off into the sunset. So um, we worked a great uh, deal for our, our existing company and investors to take over gloves.com, uh, keep him on as a consultant and grow the business to you know what it could and should be, which includes an e-com um, division now. So if you go to gloves.com, you'll see you can, um, it's now a DTC you know, e-commerce website. You can click and buy latex gloves, vinyl gloves, um, nitro gloves by the box and just get them shipped to you or we are a lot of our customers are um, dental offices or small medical practices. And where is this business located? Well, um, gloves.com is headquartered in Austin, uh, Austin, Texas, but um, we have offices in Miami, Austin, and San Diego. And, um, and it's a, it's a cool uh, conglomerate of partners, partners um, that came together to form an ownership group and everyone kind of serves their own role uh, within the company, which is really nice. Some of the partners are e-commerce experts, uh, some are logistics experts. So we still, a large portion of our business is still uh, importation and um, uh, importation of our, all of our products and then all of our B2B sales and our distributor sales. So we have a large referral partner network that does most of the selling for us. Very nice. So tell me a little bit about My Wine Society. What kind of business is that? It sounds like you sell wine. Yeah, that's a, that's a portion of the business. Um, we, so My Wine Society was founded as a tech company. Um, I was actually consulting uh, for many different businesses between 2005 and 2015. And um, that's one of the ways I stayed in, in kind of the entrepreneur game is I was getting referrals to um, consult on different in different organizations and different industries. Um, and one of the um, industries that I kind of ended my consulting practice with was different wineries and helping them grow into the digital age. Um, everything from how to start, start their own Instagram account to, you know, full marketing and sales strategies and connecting with the digital consumer and, and so on. So I saw a white space um, where there was no um, digital marketplace for wine. Um, there was a marketplace and like an Amazon for wine, but there was no Facebook for wine. There was no like 
um, app-based global community that people could come and form um, form groups and uh, plan and book their tastings at different wineries around the world and get connect directly with sommeliers. Um, so we launched my wine society in uh, first first quarter of 2018 um, uh, uh, with the intention to be the Facebook for wine. Um, and um, from there, we started a subscription box wine company. Um, so your standard, you know, sign up and pay a monthly fee and get wine delivered to your door. Um, so we have that division now as well. Uh, and then we also started the blended wine and music festivals. And um, so if somebody wants to contact you or somebody wants to order wine, how would they do that? Um, so the easiest way to, uh, to order wine through my wine society is actually to sign up for the subscription club. And that's just on mywinesociety.com. And you can go click there, click on the loyalty club, we call it, and, um, and then sign up for the club. Uh, we do actually have our own distributor license as well. Um, so we are able to uh, sell wine direct to consumers. Um, that's a bit of a process. I'm not sure how familiar you or your listeners are with the wine industry, um, but it is riddled with, um, with policies around the sale of wine, and they are all different in every state. So um, it's a bit of a complex marketplace to navigate. <laughs> wow. Tell us a little bit about the Blended Festival, the music festival. Yeah, so Blended Fest was, um, it was conceptualized to just be a really large outdoor tasting exercise um, in 2019 as part of our app rollout. We wanted to test our app in a large format setting um, and get people to come out, download the app and track their tastings, um, you know, write down tasting notes, share the app with their friends and give us real-time feedback about um, about the mobile app and about what they liked and didn't like about it and if they would use it again and, and so on. So as part of our testing process, we put together this large format wine tasting and um, I hired someone just to manage, you know, that specific event and, um, and together she and the team just kind of kept tacking on different elements to make that event cooler as it approached. And um, one of the elements they tacked on was a live music stage. And, um, and so eventually by the time we got to the actual event, it was no longer just a large format wine tasting. It had turned into um, to a mini festival. So we branded it. That the sounds fun. Yeah, we branded branded at the uh, blended wine and music festival and um and we got uh we had about three thousand people that came out the first year and it's a pretty good turnout yeah it was great um so we we said i think we might have you know created something here let's um let's build a team around around this concept and keep this going while we, you know, continue to grow the rest of the company. So fast, obviously last year we weren't able to throw any festivals, um, unfortunately. <laughs> um, yeah. It sounds like uh, you had a really good uh, turnout the year before though. So it sounds like that's something that could be brought back as we, um, as we move forward. Yeah. So this year we have three events, um, one in Nashville, one in Austin, and one in San Diego. 
and uh, where we each event is slated to bring in about 7,500 uh, attendees. We have 30 plus wineries on site, um, and you know, huge artist lineups, including uh, Chain Smokers and Nelly, uh, Little John, and a bunch of country acts as well. Matt Stell. So if somebody wants to go to these uh, festivals, how would they how would they find them? How would they find out where they're located? Uh, how would they find out, um, you know, all that information that they would need to know? Yeah, I mean, the website is blendedfestivals.com and Instagram, Facebook, same thing. Uh, actually, Instagram is blendedfest. Um, but yeah, our website's live and uh, we've been selling tickets. I think... Um, I think each show is about 25% sold out right now. Um, looking to uh, sell out here in the next 60 days. And and how many festivals do you have per year? Well, the first year in 2019 was one. Um, and that was when we conceptualized the brand. And then this year uh, we're having three. And next year we have aspirations to grow to six. Uh, and we'll be the will be the first traveling music, food, and wine festival um, in the country. I love it. That is so fun. Yeah. That sounds like such a fun event, you know, and I love the idea of it traveling. So, you know, people who like to listen to different music and try different uh, wines can just kind of follow and, and they get a little vacation out of the deal too. So that's kind of fun. Yeah. And we have a, we have a culinary stage as well that features chef demonstrations from some of the top chefs in the world uh, come and do chef demonstrations live um, during the festival as well. So it's really excited. Our ultimate goal is to have one in uh, every weekend of the year. So 52 events. In different locations. Yeah. In every city around the U.S. So do you already have the cities picked out? Uh, not so can the people go online and see, hey, yeah. where's the closest one to me? Right. Not the 52. We've got, we've got, we're almost nailed down the six for uh, 2022. So hopefully that's up soon. Okay. Well, you know, it, it sounds like you have some pretty phenomenal, you know, businesses going. Tell me, what are some of the challenges that you've encountered over the last few years? Um, other than COVID, I know COVID has been a very big challenge for pretty much most businesses. Um, but what have you been facing? Um, well, uh, on the, on the, my wine society side, um, the, the company was built around the mobile app technology. And as such, um, as that being our core product, uh, we didn't have any intention of going to revenue in the first couple of years. We wanted to build the app and test it and, um, really you know, understand the best product in the first year and then understand how to take it to market in the second year. And then then you have to grow the user base to a a certain level before you can really turn on um, the advertising revenue aspects or, um, or the user, uh, user functionality that generates revenue. So um, one challenge we face there is, um, you know, and this is pretty common when you're growing a tech company, but it was the first time that I'd ever done it is uh, we didn't really understand how to raise the money necessary to build the proper team and take it to market and, you know, really run as a company needs to um, while not bringing in any revenue. So that was, um, that was a huge challenge that I kind of had to, I kind of had to build the plane 
um, while it was falling out of the sky and then learn how to fly it. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was a big challenge. Um, we ended up, I think we've raised about $1.3 to date. Um, so we did, and, and we have gone to revenue into other divisions in the company. So, um, you know, we have a plane now and it's flying a little bit. So we're happy about that. Um, but that was a, that was a big challenge. Uh, uh, I had a partner who was somewhat familiar with raising capital. Um, but I, I definitely did not understand the amount of time, work and effort it would take, um, to, to do that part of it. You know, I thought here's a, here's an app that we're building. Uh, we need a million dollars. Someone will just give it to us. <laughs> sure. It sounds reasonable. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's not how it works. So no, no, people um, don't get out their checkbooks unless they have a really good reason. Yeah. You so, know. um, so that was a challenge that I faced early on. And then, um, We've, I think we've overcome that challenge. Um, we've, we've kind of proven that we're going to make it, you know, we're, we're three and a half, four year old company at this point. And, um, and people like to see that we're in revenue now, um, that we're, you know, we're cash flow positive. And, um, and then, you know, the other challenge with my wine society is it was also brand new. So just teaching people what it is, um, getting them to download an app and getting, you know, getting feedback, all of those things are challenges that um, I'd also never done before. So, um, so I, I went from, you know, 10 years of management consulting where I would go in and I was the expert and I would go into a business and evaluate the company and give them a plan to, you know, be better at some aspect of their business, help them execute it and then, you know, leave and go to the next one. So going from 10 years of being the expert to, um, starting a company where two of the major components, fundraising and, and technology applications, um, I knew nothing about, that, that was a challenge for sure. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. But it sounds like you've done a, a phenomenal job of navigating those, those unknown waters. It sounds like you've done a phenomenal job of creating the right teams to uh, develop these businesses and, and, and create the success that you've had. So we're going to we're going to take a break here in about a minute. When we come back from the break, I would really like to talk a little bit about uh, the advice that you might give other entrepreneurs, um, the things that you feel you learned in the process that maybe would help somebody else um, maybe become a little bit more successful, a little quicker. Um, so th- those are some of the things that I'd like to talk about when we come back from break, Great. if you don't mind. Yeah, okay. I can definitely do that. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I just want to thank Sean Evans for coming and talking to us about um, his wonderful business, the process, and we look forward to his advice when we come back from break. I'm Fazia Costi. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can check out my website, executivefunctioncoachaz.com. You can also call me at 480-648-1122. I do offer free consultations. So if you'd like a free consultation, feel free uh, to give me a call or send me an email um, at any time. If you are looking to, um, if you if you would like to look at the uh, summit videos that we had, the summit that we had at the beginning of June, they are now on um, my website as well as on my YouTube channel, uh, Fazia Costi Executive Function Coach or 
my website, which is Fazia Costi Executive, I'm sorry, Executive Function Coach AZ.com. We'll be back after uh, these messages. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you are struggling with organization, time management, or other executive functions, Fazia Costi is ready to put you on the path to success. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Fazia works with in-person clients at her Phoenix, Arizona office or with clients anywhere across the country remotely. Mention that you heard this ad from the Focus on Success radio show and receive a free initial consultation with Fazia, plus $50 off an intake evaluation, a $300 value. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com or call 480-648-1122. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Focus on Success. To reach Fozzie Acosti or her guest on the live show, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Fazia at Executive Function Coach AZ.com. Now, back to Focus on Success. Hi, welcome back. Um, today we are talking to Sean Evans. And welcome back, Sean. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. So, um, what I would like to talk about the remainder of the show is some of the advice that you would offer to entrepreneurs, uh, some of the um, advice about, you know, things to avoid, the things to definitely do. So what are the things that, that are the most important things when, you, when you're starting a new business from scratch or when you're purchasing a business? Uh, that's a great question. And um, I've definitely been a part of a number of different companies, um, both as a consultant and as a founder. And um, pretty much made every mistake there is to make. So that's good. It helped me in my current journey. Um, and it helps me, uh, you know, help others, as you mentioned. Uh, and I've, we've done a lot of things right along the way as well. Um, but yeah, I was thinking about your question uh, when we were just off air. And um, I think on the, the things to, that you should do, I'll, I'll try to think about the things to avoid as well, but the things that you should do when you're starting um, a business is uh, number one, I would, I would plan the life cycle of your company um, out at least two to three years. Um, and when I say life cycle, um, I mean, be like as detailed as possible. So 
Um, if you, you know, if you need um, three months for product development and um, three months for market testing, uh, three months for customer acquisition, and then three months, you know, to to be your first three months out into into the market, um, you know, that's that seems like a great twelve month plan, you know, right there that I just outlined. But then you you should go back and take each of those three months, and you should drill down. Um, to each month and what you're going to do, you know, in that month to achieve that. And then take that each one of those months and drill down into the weeks and days. And what, what are you going to accomplish every day and every week that's going to lead to that outcome? Um, that's going to do a couple things for you. One, it's going to give you a really good understanding of what, what your company is actually trying to provide to the marketplace and how you're going to get there. Um, two, it's going to allow you to uh, have a really deep understanding of what it is you're trying to do, which, which at the end of that process, you may decide that it, you actually don't want to do that, whatever it is. Um, and that's, that would be a nice learning to have before, before you even enter. Um, and then three, it'll give you a resource list. So going through that process will give you a list of items that need to be accomplished. Um, that, that are required for the business, whether it's, um, you know, purchasing um, kitchen equipment or finding fundraiser or investors or whatever it is that's needed um, for this particular business that you're trying to start. So I would say be as, create a detailed um, roadmap, I call it, to uh, from how you're gonna start your business all the way out to, you know, two to three years, um, work backwards, um, break down every month as detailed possible and, um, and really get a full understanding of, of where you're going and how you're going to get there. Uh, I think a lot, of, a lot of entrepreneurs make a mistake early on, and I know I've done this in the past, where you have a good idea and um, you just kind of find a, find a building and, and start trying to operate and you don't really have all the pieces put together. Um, the problem is once you do that, um, you're operating and there's you know, expenses associated with that, regardless of how small it is. And those expenses come every month. And so you really want to have like a plan of attack um, and have a firm roadmap to success and a firm budget for um, how you're going to manage that. So that'd be the first thing. Um, but how do you plan for contingencies? Well, you know, that's part of it too, is you have to be malleable because, um, it's the roadmap's never going to go exactly correct. Um, but, you know, I listened to Jordan Peterson podcast quite a bit. And, um, you know, one thing he says is um, any plan is better than no plan. <laughs> so it's a lot easier to know how to diverge and how to course correct um, when you have a map in front of you. Uh, it's much more sure. difficult when you don't. Um, but, yeah, to your point, there's going to be um, there's going to be divergence in that plan. There's going to be things that pop up. You know, I, the easiest and obvious example is uh, the pandemic. Um, when the pandemic hit, we couldn't throw any of our music festivals, and we kind of we could have just kind of packed it in and said, "Oh, we're going to be one of those businesses that folds up shop during the pandemic." Um, but instead, we just pivoted to our our subscription wine club division and launched that instead, and obviously everyone was sitting at home getting alcohol delivered. So that worked out well. 
Um, so yeah, uh, great question. Yeah, you're, there's going to be changes in it, but it's better to have a plan than not have one. Um, the second one I would recommend is um, to try to build the right team. Um, and you're, it's really hard to build a company by yourself. Uh, it's, and it, it's almost impossible, actually. Um, you have to have people around you helping you, whether that is you know, lawyer friends that are drafting up contracts for you, um, accountants that are you know, checking your books every month or at least every quarter, um, and, and so on. Um, and having a right-hand man or right-hand woman to do a lot of the heavy lifting with you and bounce ideas off of, you know, that's important. So um, I would say identify the right team members. Um, and early on, um, on that note, I, I would never pay retail for um, services. So what I mean by that is there's someone in your network that is an accountant or a lawyer or, um, you know, some other service that you need that, will, that is willing to, um, you know, to give you the early on work as a startup either for free or for in-kind service um, or for a reduced fee. Um, so I would find, you know, the right team members that are willing to kind of help lift you up in the beginning because uh, every dollar really counts early on. And, um, and then also, you know, ha have uh, someone on your team that can go through the ups and downs with you. Um, in the first year or two even of a business, um, like I just mentioned, every dollar matters. And, um, if you go, if you go to market and you're bringing in revenue and you're trying to also pay yourself a salary in those first couple of years, um, you know, if you have a bad month or two, the, the only person that's not going to get paid is you as the owner. So, um, you need to make sure that you can weather that storm and that whoever you bring on as a partner can as well. Um, so, uh, so building the right team, I think, is really important. Um, and then the last piece, I would say, depending on what it is that you're, you know, trying to launch um, or trying to start or create, um, I would just know that um, getting to market with a usable product that that provides value in some way or service uh, is more important than having a perfect product. So. Um, what I mean by that is some people get um, paralysis by analysis and they're, you know, sitting at home tinkering with their product or service, trying to get it perfect for three years and then the opportunity is gone. So, um, I'd say getting to market with, um, any kind of product or service that adds value and then, and then evolving the service or product as you go, um, is important as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when you're working on a product or service, does it matter how you develop your business? If you're, I mean, does it, does it matter? Does it change? I guess is really the question. How you develop your business. Does it change if you're developing a product versus a service? Um, yeah, that's a good question. So um, most service-based companies um, have a lot of competition. So, um, so if you're going into a service-based company, you really have to differentiate yourself in some way. Um, there's, there's gotta be something involved in your service that, uh, is different enough that, um, 
that one people want to hire you in the first place and then, you know, provides enough value over and above the other similar services that people want to continue using your service. Um, so um, I would say when looking at, at whatever business you're starting, if, it, if it's a service, more than likely there's other companies out there providing that service. And, um, and if you go into the mindset with that, like if you, if, if I wanted to start a, um, a cleaning business right now, like a home cleaning business, um, there's a lot of competition in that industry, obviously. So, um, I would have to do something, uh, create some kind of, um, house cleaning service that one gets people to switch from their current house cleaner or to find me and, you know, I'm their first house cleaner. Um, and whatever that differentiator might be. And then, um, the service has to be so phenomenal that, um, that they want to keep using me and not one of these other established brands, uh, like, um, like um, Mary Maids or one of those other well-known name brands. So if it's a service, it's got to be, it's got to be differentiated in some way that, that they want to hire you in the first place. And then it's got to be so stellar that they want to keep coming back. Um, and it could be that stellar, stellar by price is difficult in industries like in, in the service industry. So you typically have to be stellar because of um, the actual value you're providing. Um, so one example, uh, I use the cleaning industry because it's pretty uh, easy for everyone to understand. But um, one example of that, a way to set yourself apart in the cleaning service is I just saw um, a company that um, popped up um, like topless um, house cleaners. And um, I thought that was pretty funny. So if you're you know, if you're sitting at home and you're looking for a cleaning service and you see topless house cleaners, you might, you know, that's a differentiator for sure. Um, so they may get new customers that way, but then are, but then the quality of the service is really going to come in after the fact, like, are they going to retain those customers? Right. Or is it just a one-off like, okay, that was funny, but now I'm going, you know, going back to someone who actually knows how to clean a house. Um, so that's a good example. Right. Yeah. How are you going to set yourself apart? and get new customers, but then you've got to like actually have the service to back it up. Yeah. I think it's really important when you're looking for a house cleaner to, you know, find one that's going to show up on time. That's not going to steal from you. That's going to do actual cleaning (laughs) as opposed to just rearranging your stuff. Right. So, you know, it's, it's definitely, yeah, there's definitely some things that would differentiate a smaller company or a newer company from one that's already established. Exactly. And on the product side, um, product side, you've got to ask yourself, what, um, what is this being used for? And and is it replacing something that already exists? And if so, it needs to be, you know, exponentially better. Um, Or is it some brand new product in the marketplace? And if so, you have a whole new, another set of challenges, which is um, adoption, right? So, if it's if it's replacing something that already exists, it needs to be probably ten times more effective, um, or else no one's going to replace it just because it costs time and effort to replace you know whatever's already there. And if it's brand new, um, you've got to find a way to um, get people's attention, then educate them about the product, and then they and they get them to adopt it uh, and actually use it. Um, so. 
those are two separate sets of challenges. But if you're going to the product space, um, you know, you're going to face one of those things. I always think of vacuum cleaners when I think of products. Like I'm not buying a new vacuum cleaner unless it's a phenomenal vacuum cleaner, you know, because the one I have works. So if I'm going to buy a new one, it's it's got to be stellar. It's got to be unique. It's got to be beyond it has to go above and beyond what my current vacuum cleaner does. So yeah, I get it. Totally. That's awesome. Um, I think uh, Dyson did a good job of that actually in the space. Um, They really revolutionized what vacuum cleaners look like and what they do. And they were able to show that in their commercials, which, you know, created that education awareness and adoption uh, that we were talking about. Absolutely. And, and and you have to be able to demonstrate that. And I think that's where a lot of people drop the ball. They know they have a great product. They know it's a stellar product. It's better than everything else out there, but they don't market themselves well enough. And I think that's a really important, um, you know, element in, in getting your business to grow. So, um, yeah. So, do you always work with the same team members? That was one thing that I was thinking about as you're talking about teams. Do you, or do you create a new team for every project? Is, does the team member have to be specific to the project or is the team member have to be somebody that you work with, that you trust, and they're just flexible enough that they can do other things? Um, that's a really great question. Um, we're facing that right now, actually, between all three companies. Um, we have... So if, if it's a staple um, service, like legal or accounting, um, I tend to use the same team members. Um, those things I outsource and they've been with me for years. And, um, you know, a, a company to an accountant is a company. It doesn't matter what type of company it is. It's, you, you send them the bank statements, they create your books and, there you go. You know, you submit your taxes and it's great. So once you get kind of those staple team members in place, you can stack on new companies, new divisions, new ideas. Um, and they just kind of help you um, navigate the, the legalese and the um, taxes and the accounting piece. And but those, I try to remain constant. It's a lot easier to um, build a rapport with those people and have them help you navigate the next company. You're not, there's not a learning curve in, um, in introductions. They know, you know, your home address, they know, you know, a lot about you. So um, I try to keep those as consistent as possible. Um, They also, you know, aren't, um, they're not going to stop working for you because you, you know, didn't pay June's bill, right. Because you've been their client for four years. So um, there's a lot of benefits to having those kind of staple elements of your business um, consistent. Um, for the other aspects, um, we do have some crossover between My Wine Society and Gloves.com. Um, some of the executives that are um, in My Wine Society were also helping bring gloves over during the pandemic. And then when we acquired Gloves.com, they came over as part of the leadership team as well. Um, but in terms of the day-to-day operations and functionality of a business, it's really hard to expect someone to cross between um, uh, knowledge base or, um, or uh, specialized function um, across industries. You really want people to really understand their job end-to-end, 
um, be an expert at it, and then execute it at a really high level. Um, so in that sense, um, you know, it's you want to be careful even inside your organization, but definitely crossing organizations. Um, how how many how much responsibility you give to any one person that's that's outside of um, you know their normal day to day because uh, you because it, it doesn't benefit you you might think you're you know kind of saving money and in the beginning you'll have to do that to a certain extent um, but as you grow and develop you want those people that are specialized in their roles and that can do it at a really high level and and can grow that specific role. Yeah, thank you. I, I really appreciate you explaining that to people because I think that's something that most people struggle with is, you know, who do, who do I bring on board? Who do I work with? You know, my, my mom wants to do this for me, but is she really the right person? And that's the other question I have for you is, do you work with family members or do you hire people specifically to do the role? So, um, so there's kind of layers, I would say, you know, top layer is, you know, executive decision-making, you can kind of have, you can have um, executives that sit either as board members or as executives across multiple companies, because they're really just, they're really talking about strategy and they're leveraging their financial connections to make sure that companies are funded or, you know, whatever, getting loans for you. Those are all things that can happen across multiple companies. Um, You know, and then you have your, your month to month you know, returning um, items and those things like accounting and legal. If you have family members that are established in those industries, there's no reason they can't do that. It's very black and white stuff. Um, and if they're gonna if they're gonna come do it for you at a discount and or quicker or prioritize you, then I would say go for it. Um, and then there's and then at the you know at the bottom, I guess not the bottom, but there's there's a repeatable things too, like just responding to customer service inquiries, um, and putting pushing them to the right person. Those things don't require much skill set. So if you have you know a retired mom that is looking for work and and you want to have her answer all the customer inquiries, you know, super sweet mom behind the keyboard, and then push it to the right person in the in the company. I'd say there's no harm in that either. You're probably, you know, you're probably going to get good marks on your customer service and kick it to the right person in the company, right? So it's really the, the impactful um, day-to-day operations that are actually growing the, the business or building the product or, um, or executing the service. They're really the core of the company. Those things you want to hire for. And you want to, you want either experts in them or you want cultural fits that can, that can grow with you. Um, but you definitely want those people well taken care of and you want them knowledgeable about what they're doing. Thank you. That's perfect. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that. So we have a couple minutes left before the show ends. And I would really like to know what are your, what are the biggest lessons that you've learned? What, what would you tell your 20 year old self about business? Um, good question. I would, uh, I would tell my 20 year old self to hire slower. Um, I, I tend to uh, get ahead of my skis a little bit and I see where the company's going and I want it to get there faster and you can always get there faster by hiring, um, especially the right people. Um, but I've gotten into trouble where we either, you know, didn't, we shouldn't have, taken on that burden of a salary that that quickly 
or hired the wrong person um, because we hired too quickly. And, um, and that's tough. You know, once you hire someone, you're kind of committed to that person. There's, it's hard, much harder to unwind that process um, than it is to start it. So I would just say, you know, um, you know, people always say, if you're going to send an angry email, write it as a draft and then go to bed and then wake up in the morning and rewrite it. And if it's still angry, then keep it in draft mode. I would kind of say that too with, with hiring. Um, if you think you need a, to fill a position and grow in some respect, um, see if you can't get through, get by for another week or another month um, and before pulling the trigger and really evaluate, like, can I bear the burden of this salary? Can I, um, do we really need this role? Um, and then in a month from now, if you really do still need that role, then it's probably the right time to hire. Thank you so much. So thank you, Sean Evans of gloves.com, my wine society and blended festival. It has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today, learning about your business specifically, but also learning about business. I really appreciate um, the insight and the tips that you gave to our listeners. I think um, that's, that's just a really nice gift that you could offer our listeners. So thank you for that. Um, for those of you who'd like to contact me, my name is Fazia Costi. I'm an executive function coach here in Arizona. And you can go directly to my website, executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Feel free to call me for a free consultation. You can also send me an email through my website. Have a wonderful day and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Focus on Success. Please join your host, Fazia Costi, for another program next Wednesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we talk again, have a great week.